All right. Good morning. That was awesome, wasn't it? Uh, good morning. Um, as uh, Daniel said, um, Zeke and, and Jacob are out of the country right now, so definitely be praying for them. They're going to be out of the country for uh, the remainder of the week. I think they come back um, Friday or Saturday. So they're going to be in, in two different spots. They're going to be in England. They're going to be in, in Turkey. So again, um, be praying for them. Be praying as they minister to, um, to some of the missionaries we support. And uh, we'll look forward uh, to hearing about it next week and what the Lord has done over the week. Um, so if you guys would do me a favor real quick, um, turn in your, your Bibles to the Old Testament. We're going to be in Second Kings 3. And uh, if you guys do come on Thursday nights, you know, we've been going through Second Kings. We're much further ahead um, than, than chapter 3. Um, but this is a study that Zeke taught on uh, actually about six months ago. And um, it's just been a scripture that's been kind of on my heart. I thought it was for a couple months. I looked back and, and re-listened to Zeke's study, and it was six months ago. So it's something that the Lord's been kind of teaching me and showing me for the last six months. And um, when they asked me to teach, it, um, I really didn't know what I was going to teach on. So I decided, Lord, what you've been showing me, I'm going to share with, with the body. So we're going to be in Second Kings uh, chapter 3. Um, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Um, while you guys are turning over, then we'll, we'll start talking about it. We'll read through it first, and then we'll, we'll kind of come back and break it down. Lord, we just come before you. We ask that you be glorified this morning. Um, Lord, I know that you have been um, teaching me through the scripture for, for quite some time, and I just pray that, that I would be able to convey um, what you want to be shared this morning. I ask that you, I would be able to just uh, put my thoughts together in a, in a, a coherent, cohesive manner that, that you might be glorified. So we ask that your Holy Spirit would empower me um, to speak, and that you would prepare the hearts of everybody to listen, to hear, and to apply. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, um, we, we've been going through the, the Old Testament on Thursday nights. It's a, a great time. I know a lot of uh, people can't make it out. Um, you can download the studies and listen to them, and I would encourage you to do so because... Um, Zeke definitely is much more thorough, um, especially on on the history and and how the book of First and Second Kings they they kind of correlate with other books, First um, Second Chronicles, and and there's some stories that are in both, and there's some that that First Kings touches on a little bit more, and and it's not as in depth in you know maybe Chronicles and and vice versa, and there's a lot of going back and forth, and um, Zeke has done a much better job than than I I could do, and I would encourage you guys if you guys want to learn some of the history of the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah, uh, that you guys would go back and you guys would listen to, um, to those studies because it's, it's really amazing to see how God works um, through the different kings, how he works through the different kingdoms, how he works through the different times, and how it's all related, and it's all connected. And then you go to a different book, and, and it's the same story, but then you go, oh wait, but this part, they didn't talk about it in, in Second Kings, or they didn't talk about it in here, and there's, there's much more of the story than, than we originally thought. So I would encourage you guys, um, if you guys can't come on Thursday nights, I would encourage you to come, but if you can't, then I would encourage you guys to, uh, to go back and, and download those studies. You can get them off of the church website and, uh, and listen to them. So anyway, um, at this point in 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to be seeing, um, just before this, we saw uh, Elijah the prophet kind of going off the scene. He kind of, uh, in a sense, retires. The Lord takes him to heaven. Uh, he doesn't die. The Lord just takes him. And then we see the, the prophet Elisha 
um, kind of his assistant coming on the scene, and we're going to go ahead and we're going to see how um, Elisha begins his ministry here in, in the, um, really with two kings, with the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was kind of, uh, in general, just an evil, wicked kingdom. And then the southern kingdom, which kind of went back and forth between wicked and good. And we're going to see two different kings. We're going to see one situation or one scenario, uh, one set of circumstances, but two different kings. Uh, there are two different perspectives on the same situation and, uh, and how the Lord handles it. And it's very interesting because, again, we're going to see one king who is wicked, one king who is wicked who kind of gets himself into a jam. He also gets the godly king into a jam. And he, when things start turning bad, he begins to blame God. And then we see the godly king, when things start turning bad, he, he begins to turn to God. And how in our own lives, it, the circumstances might be the same, but depending on who we surround ourselves with, the perspective on, on the circumstance is totally different. So two kings, uh, one situation, two kings, um, one situation, but two different perspectives on the situation. Now we're going to go ahead and let's go ahead and read through this whole chapter and then we'll start talking about it. So it says, now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, and he did not depart from them. Now, Misha, the king of Joab, or I'm sorry, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly uh, paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jeroboam went out um, of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of, by the, way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord has called us, us these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him, or of the Lord by him? One of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and the king of Jehoshaphat or, and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, "What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and go to the prophets of your mother." But the king of Israel said to him, "No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab." And Elisha said, "As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely if it were not, um, if it were not." that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you will not see the wind, nor shall you see the rain. Yet the valley will be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. 
he will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and, and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by Edom and the land was filled with water. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and killed one another. Now therefore Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities. Each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped and they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down every good tree. But they left the stones of Kir Hareseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through, the king of Edom, break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his oldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and he offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. All right, so it's a lot of reading. Well, we kind of got now an overview of, of the situation, of, of the scenario that kind of is going to play out before us. Again, we have King uh, Jehoram. Uh, he is the son of Ahab. And it says, now when, king, uh, now when Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel um, in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned 12 years. And it says, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillars of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. So again, we, we, we are introduced to uh, Jehoram, or we're introduced to, to Jehoshaphat. We're in, introduced to an evil king and a good king. And again, it kind of compares uh, Jehoram, and if you guys again go back and kind of read through the First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you're going to get introduced to a whole bunch of different characters. Um, Ahab and Jezebel are a couple of them, and if you read about them, you're going to realize that, that they were a couple of the, uh, the worst rulers that, that Israel ever had. And their son, Jehoram, wasn't too far different, but he says he was slightly better. It says he, he put away the, the sacred pillar of Baal, but it says he still persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. And again, I know, um, I'll give you a little bit of history. Jeroboam, uh, he started uh, basically um, some false worship in the northern kingdom. He set up some golden calves so that they could worship, and it was kind of a, a persistent um, sin that, that Israel never seemed to get away from. And time and time again, there would be a new king and a new king and a new king. And time and time again, they would never, ever deal with, with that sin or with that situation or with that, that false worship. So Jer- Jehoram continues in this. And then again, we, we see Jehoshaphat, and it's kind of cool because Jehoshaphat, he reigned at the same time that Ahab reigned. And if you again go back, you'll see that, that Jehoshaphat and, and Ahab actually had a similar situation where they went to war together just like Jehoram and Jehoshaphat. And then Ahab was done, and his son came into play. And Jehoshaphat kind of had this influence on, on both of these two different these dynasties, I guess you could say, or these two different rulers. 
And I kind of want to rush through the beginning because I want to focus on the end. So we're going to kind of just understand that, that, that one was godly and, and one was evil. One sought the Lord and one, one sought after false worship. Whatever, um, whatever he thought was good is what he did. So, but here we begin to see, as any good story has, we begin to see the conflict. And it says, now Misha, the king of, jo- uh, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid uh, the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And then he went and he sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up, and I am as you are, and my people as, and my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. And then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So here we have this young king, this new king, Jehoram, take, take office, and, and all of a sudden, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the king dying, and there was actually a king that was there for just a couple years in between Ahab and Jehoram, in the midst of all these people taking office, and then th- this guy dies, and this guy takes over, and then this guy takes over, the, the king of Moab says, look, in the midst of all this, I see my opportunity to, to be out from under the king of Israel. I see my opportunity. Maybe he saw Jehoram as weak. Maybe he just saw an opportunity to try to, to save some, some sheep and some cattle. I don't know what the whole situation was, but we begin to see this conflict like any good story has, right? There's conflict. There's a reason. There's a problem. There's something going on that needs to be fixed. And Jehoram looks at this problem. He says, yeah, we can um, try to handle it. My, my dad handled it. But for whatever reason, he decides that he can't handle it on his own. So he goes to to Jehoshaphat and he asks him for assistance. And and Jehoshaphat's kind of in this weird, weird situation because, yeah, he's a separate kingdom, but at one time Judah and Israel were fighting against each other, and at one time they were kind of at odds. And, And then Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter. And they kind of became a, more of a united kingdom. They were two separate kingdoms, but now they were at peace with each other. And now Jehoshaphat's family comes and asks him for some assistance. Now Jehoshaphat's family, though they were ungodly, though they really, he really had no say in this matter, or he really, this was a fight that wasn't his own, his family comes and he asks them for help. And rather than seeking the Lord or rather than asking God for what he should do, he says, sure, I'll help you. And it's funny because, I mean, if you guys, again, go back to sec- or 1 Kings 22, you're going to see a, almost a exact same situation with Ahab and Jehoshaphat. And Ahab's going to war against the Syrians, and he comes to Jehoshaphat and he says, hey, will you go to war with me? And he says almost the exact same words. He says, yeah, I am as you are, my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. Um. But with Ahab, he actually sought the Lord first. And for whatever reason, we don't see him seeking the Lord. For whatever reason, we see uh, King Jehoshaphat kind of getting into the situation without consulting the Lord, without seeking his face, without asking his direction. I began to think about it in my own life, or maybe you could think about it and and kind of compare it to your own life, is is there are times in our lives when when we have sought the Lord, we have sought His direction, and then we face with a similar situation, like, oh, wait, I've been here before. I can handle this. 
I've been here before. I've seen God work. I can handle this. And, and the thing is about it, though, is if you get, if you go to 1 Kings 22, you're going to read about it, and it says that they sought the Lord. And the Lord basically tells Ahab through a prophet, hey, you're going to die. And then Ahab goes, okay, cool, well, let's go to war anyway. But here's the deal, Jehoshaphat, um, why don't you stay dressed up as a king in your kingly robes? I'm going to disguise myself and just be like one of the guys. And as a result, Jehoshaphat almost loses his life. As a result, Jehoshaphat, when he, we, he, when he united himself with, with this evil king, he, it almost cost him everything. And then at the end, you even see that Jehoshaphat is, is rebuked for joining hands with the wicked. And then years later, he's back in the same problem, back in the same situation. Years later, he's back in, in the same situation he found himself in before, but this time, he doesn't even consult the Lord. He says, sure, let's do it. Let's go. And this king asks him, he says, well, where, where, where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? And again, Jehoshaphat, um, having done this before, having gone to war before, having gone to war with uh, Jehoram's father, having even fought the Moabites before, probably about a year previous, he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. And he begins to lay out his plan. And he begins to lay out his ideas. And he begins to, to in, start this endeavor in his own strength, under his own knowledge and his own wisdom and his own insight. And if Jehoshaphat had stopped to think, if he had stopped to pray, if he had stopped to, stopped to seek the Lord, um, honestly, I think this whole situation, this whole story would have been totally different. And yet he gets himself into a kind of sticky situation with the king of Israel. And he begins, and he begins to lay out these plans of attack, and he begins to lay out how they're going to go about um, this battle and how they're going to go about um, obtaining victory. And it was an endeavor of the self. And it wasn't like they were going out and, and Jehoram's like, hey, you want to go worship some golden calves? And, and Joseph's like, sure. It wasn't anything like that. He says, hey, look, I have this kingdom that's rebelling against me. Hey, look, these people, we're united. We're family. I need some help. This kingdom is coming against me. They're coming against everything that my father has set up, and, and I need some help. And, and Jehoshaphat's going, yeah, I want to help you. I'm not trying to do anything wrong. I'm not trying to do anything against the Lord. I'm not trying to do anything sinful. I am just trying to help you out of your problems. But he didn't do it seeking the Lord. He didn't do it seeking the wisdom of God or the guidance of God or, or the direction of God. So he says, you know what, let's do it. I already know how to do this. I've been to, again, I've been to war before. I've been to war against these guys. I've been to war against the Syrians. I've seen you know, how, how we can have victory. It's easy. It's simple. We're going to take my guys. We're going to take your guys. We'll go down from the south. We'll, the north is kind of fortified, so we're just going to make some logical, reasonable decisions, and we're going to go about, and we're going to just do this, and it'll be handled. Maybe we'll pick up some of the guys from Edom. You know, we'll just kind of pat our army a little bit, and we'll go down there with overwhelming force. We'll take care of it. It'll be easy. It'll be, uh, it'll be nothing. We, we got this. And again, I think so often in our lives, um, no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, no matter how long we've sought Him, no matter how many times we have seen Him uh, victorious in our lives previous to today, sometimes we forget that we need to rely upon Him today just like we relied upon Him yesterday. So again, they decide to attack from the south. Um, again, the, the northern border was, was probably much more, more fortified. They said, hey, let's kind of go through the desert. Let's go through the south. Let's come up by the way of the, Red, or the Dead Sea. Um, it'll be easy. 
a few days walk. We'll get down there. We'll tack them. We'll get your sheep back. We'll get your wool back. And then we'll all go home and we'll high five and it'll be over. Right? And that's how it always is, right? That's your plan. Let's go. Let's do it. We'll handle it. Uh, at the end, we're going to high five. We're going to, you know, have a barbecue. We'll get some of your 100,000 sheep and we'll, you know, just have a good time. It says, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched in on a roundabout route seven days, and there was no water for the army, for, um, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And King Jehoshaphat said, The Lord is with him. So the kings of Israel, uh, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Again, now here we start to see uh, we're not too far in. We're, what, nine verses? Nine verses into this chapter, and, and we're starting to see the, 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 the circumstances unfold, the story unfold. We're starting to see that, that all the plans that Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and, and this king of, of Edom, or he probably wasn't a king, he was like kind of like a, um, like a co-king that... that they're like, we're in charge, but you can kind of run this situation down here. So we have these three kings, we have these three leaders, we have these three armies that are together, and they begin to go out in their own strength, in their own power, in their own um, wisdom and insight. And before long, they begin to realize that everything I thought I knew, I don't know. And every resource that I thought I had, I have the resources of three kingdoms here, and yet I can't even make it to where I'm trying to go. And again, it says it took them seven days, and I'm not exactly sure why it took that long. Um, it says they went a roundabout route. Um, it really should have been about four days from, from Judah up to where they were going. And I don't. And some people are saying, well, maybe it took three days for Israel to get to Judah, and then four days for them to get from here where they were going. I don't know. From what it sounds like, it sounds like they took a lot longer than they were expecting. I don't know if they got lost. I don't know if they just had some setbacks. Whatever the situation is, whatever the case is, they ended up, from the very beginning, seeing setbacks and, and, and seeing, um, you know, just the situation begin to, to turn in a way that they had not expected. And again, in our own lives, when we begin to, to set out on endeavors without praying about it, when we begin to set out and, and seek to, to join hands with those who aren't um, Christians or those who aren't seeking the Lord, and we do it without seeking the Lord, we begin to realize very quickly that, that everything that we thought was going to happen and how we thought the situation was going to turn out and all the strength and all the wisdom, and I can do this, and I can help them, and I can save them, and we can handle this situation. And, and look, I know, look, God's with us. It's fine. I, I've done this before. And they go out and they, they seek to, to handle this external threat. And they seek to handle this external situation. And so often, again, in our life, we go out and we want to start doing stuff. But what they didn't realize is that their own internal needs, their own internal deficiencies and insufficiencies were going to render them completely useless before they even got to where they were going. Before they can engage in the battle, before they can defeat the king of Moab, before they can even get to where they wanted to get, they said, all my internal needs, all the things I need, all my personal stuff has rendered me useless. 
and the battle that was raging within themselves and within their army and, and all the personal stuff that they were going through made it completely impossible for them to, to even think about Moab. It's like, hey, we're, we're going, but we, before we even get to Moab, before we even get to the battle, we're going to be dead. We're going to be ruined. We're done. We're stuck. They've got themselves to the place. They're seven days in. They've run out of water. They don't have water for themselves. They don't have water for their cattle. They don't have water for their animals. They don't have water to get. They can't get it because all that there is is the Dead Sea, which would kill them even quicker if they decided to drink it. They can't go back. They don't have the resources to back out. They don't have the resources to go ahead. So now they're saying we are 100% absolutely Desperate, we are stuck. There is no other options. We have no options. It's time to wake up. (laughs) But that's where we get ourselves into when we begin without seeking the Lord. And that is a situation we get ourselves into when we decide that we are going to go out and we are going to accomplish and we are going to conquer and we're going to do it in our own strength and our own power and our own wisdom and our own insight and our own understanding. They get to the point where they can go, no longer go any further. The men are exhausted. They're dehydrated. They're thirsty. They're defeated. They're broken. They are empty. They have nothing left to give. They've been marching for seven days. I don't know at what point they ran out of water. I don't know if the guy that, that was, you know, doing the, the mapping just had the map upside down. I don't know what the situation was. It's like you give the guy who's always drinking wine, you know, the GPS, you know. Come on. But they get to this point where they can do nothing. And their options are we can back out and die on the way home. We could stay here and we can die. Or we can wait for Moab to realize we're here because you see that they realized they were there pretty quickly and they're going to come and they're going to attack us and we're not going to have the strength or the efforts or the resources even to muster an attack to defend ourselves. I mean, that's it. There was no option. There were no options available to these men. And I started thinking about so often, again, in our lives, and we, we don't, I mean, I've never been in a situation like this. But I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, okay, Lord, I, here I am. Whether or not I should be here, God, I don't know, but I'm here. I found myself in this situation. I have started to, to do what I maybe thought you wanted me to do. Maybe I just wanted to do it. I don't really know. I don't know all my motivations. I don't know how evil my own heart is. But God, this is where I'm at, and I am too far in to back out, and I can't go forward. And I can't go this way or that way. I, I'm, I'm stuck here, God. And, and at this point, I have exhausted all of my resources. I've exhausted every ounce of strength I have, every mental, physical, emotional uh, resources I have. They're all gone. And I don't know what to do. And that's where these men found themselves. God, I don't know what to do. And we see one king says, oh, the Lord brought us out here because he wants to deliver us. It's God's fault. But we see the godly influence of Jehoshaphat, and he says, it's not God's fault. Let's not blame God. Rather, let's seek the Lord. Let's see what he has for us. And I love it because it's, 
better late than never, right? It's better late than never where Jehoshaphat, yeah, he started out this endeavor relying on himself, but right now in the midst of this situation, he's saying, look, I, I understand we're stuck. Just like the king of Israel understood they were stuck, but he says there's another option. There's an option that you're not thinking about. Yeah, there's God, and it's funny because this king is like, oh, I believe in God now, but I, I believe in him so I can blame him. And Joseph Hatt says, no, we believe in him so we can seek him, and we can seek his will in this. And I love it because, again, if you look, and I would encourage you, go back and read through First and Second Kings. Go back and, and read through it, and go back and or at least look at Jehoshaphat's life. And you'll see at one point that he is being attacked by multiple armies, and he cries out to the Lord, and he says, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you saying, God, I can't handle this. I can't deal with this. I don't even know where to start. But my eyes are on you, and I'm looking to you, and I know that you know what to do. And I know you see beyond the situation, God, and you see beyond what's happening right now, and you see beyond all the stuff that I can see to how things really are. And I know that you can deliver us. So here, if we could describe these men in one word, it would be desperate. They are truly the, the definition of desperation here. All that they could do all has already been done, and all that they are, then the situation is much worse than when they started. If they would have just stayed home, it's like, yeah, you're out some, some, some sheep, yeah, you're out some, some wool, but you're alive. You're not going to die in the desert. You're not going to die, you know, it's like, oh, and, and they all died of thirst. And you're like, ah. Oh. You know, they didn't die in battle. They didn't die doing something honorable. They didn't, you know, then the kingdom went on and they had some less sheep that were given to them for free. No, it's they, they went out and they did their own thing. And, and this is how it very easily could have ended. And they died in the desert all alone, thirsty. Like, that's what we earn ourselves, guys, when we try to do it on our own. They were desperate. They had no other place to turn. But I love it because even in, in the midst of the desperation, God begins to reveal himself, and he begins to give them glimpses. It wasn't like, oh, we're desperate. Oh, hey, look, it's raining. Easy. Immediate deliverance. But rather, it's the Lord incrementally began to, to show them himself and to show them his plan, saying, okay, we got here in a bad spot because we're stupid, uh, but let's seek the Lord. Is there any way we could seek the Lord, Jehoshaphat says, and they're like, yeah, actually, there is. Elisha's here. Oh, okay. Well, let's go and let's talk to him. Let's go and let's see what the Lord says. And I love it because so often when we get ourselves in a jam, so often when we get ourselves in trouble, uh, and then we begin to seek the Lord, the Lord's not like, oh, yeah, okay, immediate deliverance. Sorry, you took you guys seven days to get here. Yeah, I'm going to deliver you in seven seconds. He says, no, here's the first thing you're going to do is we need to seek the Lord. Okay, now we're seeking the Lord. Lord, are you going to reveal yourself to us? Yeah, actually, he can because there's a prophet here. Okay, yeah, let's go and let's begin to see what the Lord's going to do. And step by step, as they begin to get out of themselves and start getting their eyes on God, he begins to reveal himself. So it says, and then they said, uh, and then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king, king of Israel said to him, no. For the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely if it were not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. 
But now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And again, we begin to start to see that, that even though Jehoshaphat got himself into a bad situation, even though he got himself into a bad circumstance, even though he, he began this endeavor trusting in himself that God had a plan. And, and Jehoshaphat very easily could say, you know what, I, I, I go, uh, go, go in peace, go fight your war. It's not my battle to fight. I will not be involved. I'll pray for you. I'll, you know, I'll see you when you get back. I'm sure everything's going to go well. But again, if, if Jehoshaphat didn't go, then it seems that this whole circumstance would have turned out differently. Elisha says, hey, go to your, fa- your prophets of your father, the false prophets of your father, the false prophets of your mother, Hey, go, go seek your false gods. He said, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to listen to you. Why are you bothering me? Is basically what he says to the king of Israel. Why? Because Elisha knew who this king of Israel was. He knew that he didn't love the Lord. He knew he didn't seek the Lord. He knew that he didn't um, have any regard for the, God, the Lord of hosts other than just to blame him for this situation and to turn an entire kingdom to false idol worship. He said, I, I will have nothing to do with you. He said, except because Jehoshaphat is here, except because I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, he said, I'll tell you what to do. And again, I don't understand how God does stuff. I don't understand how he, he has his ways and his plans, and I'm not telling you to go and get yourself into a bad spot just to see God come through. But what I'm saying is even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, even when we get ourselves into situations and circumstances that, that we should not be in, God knew it from the beginning, and God had a plan from the beginning. And even though you're somewhere maybe right now that you're not supposed to be, God wants to use you in that situation to turn it around. And God wants you to get out of yourself and out of, you know, drop your pride, drop your arrogance, drop your ego, drop your reputation, and start thinking about what He wants. And start seeking what he wants. And start beginning to, to turn around and say, no, it's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's not about my strengths. It's not about uh, all my resources. Because I have quickly learned that all my resources get depleted way before I can even deal with what I thought we were dealing with. And begin to seek the Lord. And begin to turn the people that you have influence over and with to the Lord. And I have no idea how the situation would have turned out. I have no idea if Elisha would have been like, oh, you know what, uh, yeah, sorry, man, you're going to die. And I'm out. And, and I don't know if the, the kingdom of Israel would have suffered a great defeat in this moment if Jehoshaphat wasn't there. But I do know because Jehoshaphat was there, because of his godly influence, because of promises that God made to David and to his descendants that, that the Lord was going to come through. And at this point, Jehoshaphat, he's in the situation, he's in this spot, and there's no getting out of it. And I love it because, again, we get ourselves in the spots. It's like, okay, I'm here. Like, like I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm here. I messed up, but I'm here. I messed up, but God, is there any way you can turn this around? Is there any way you can make this something good? I'm desperate. I'm exhausted. All my personal resources Everything I thought I had, everything I thought I was, everything I thought I could accomplish, I'm done. 
I think so often, again, in our lives, we get to that point, guys. And, 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 and for these men, them being done meant they were done. They were dead. For you, being done might mean something completely different. God, I can't go on. God, I can't do this anymore. God, I can't deal with this situation. I can't deal with these people. I can't love these people one more time. I can't go to that workplace and try to be a godly influence. I can't go back to wherever I'm at, surrounded by these people that don't love you, that don't want you, that don't seek you, that only time they mention you is when they blame you for something. I can't go back to that. I got nothing left. Maybe I put myself in this situation, God, and, and, and I'm trying to serve you and I'm trying to be obedient, but I don't have anything left to give. And if I get one more, you know, set of bad news, if I get one more rejection, if I get one more thing that, that doesn't go my way, I don't know if I can go on anymore. And that's where these guys were at. Is we can't go on. We literally, in, we can't go on. Not that we don't want to go on. There is, no, there is no reasonable explanation. There is no logical reason why we think that anything good is going to happen other than maybe we'll just die quickly so it won't, we won't suffer too long. But they approach the Lord. They approach Elisha. And this is what Elisha says. He said, Thus says the Lord, make the valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, but the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver them also, or he will also deliver the Moabites in your hand. You shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall cut down every good tree, and stop up every spring of water, and ruin every good place or piece of land with stones. And here we see that the Lord begins to speak, and it's awesome because, you know, they, they started this thing on their own, and, and they got themselves into this, this bad situation on their own, but the Lord says, look, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to take care of you. I am going to handle this. I'm going to fix the problems you have created. And they're probably going, oh, good. He's going to rescue us. He said, but this is what I need from you. I want you to take your broken, exhausted, thirsty, dehydrated men who have already given up, and I need you to tell them to go and, and not just dig a ditch, fill the valley with ditches. See, the Lord could have easily delivered them without them having to lift a finger, but he says, this is what I want from you if you want to see my deliverance. I need you to be obedient. You worked really hard to get yourself in this spot. Now I'm going to ask you, even though you feel like you have nothing left to give, even though you feel like you can't go on, even though you feel like all you want to do is lay down in the dirt and die, I want you to, to do the work. I want you to do the hard work. I want you to do something that you don't want to do, but unless you do it, you will not see my deliverance. And, and before we get going, I want to just emphasize, guys, being obedient does not mean God owes you something. It does not mean that God is indebted to you. What being obedient does for us as Christians is it, it prepares us and enables us to receive His grace, His mercy, His blessing, and His deliverance. It doesn't mean God owes you anything. But if you are not obedient, what you're going to soon realize is, is the deliverance and the blessings and the grace and the mercy of God is going to pass you by and you're going to watch it as it happens. So God brought these men to the point of exhaustion, of desperation, to the point where they no doubt had probably nothing left to give. And he asked them for more. Guys, and this is, and I want to get here sooner so we have more time. We've got a little bit of time left. But this is where your Christianity goes from the theoretical to the practical. 
Guys, until, the point, until you get to the point where it costs you something, until it get, you get to the point where you're desperate, until you get to the point where you're saying, God, I, I literally have no way to get out of this situation. I can't go backwards. I can't go forwards. I, 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 there are no options. Until you get to that point, um, your Christianity is, is, is theoretical. It's all intellectual. Until you get to the point where you have to do something, until you get to the point where it's going to cost you something, until you get to the point where you're going, God, I, I'll be obedient to you, I'll do whatever you want, because I know at this point I, where I've got myself, it's, it's either deliverance or it's death. And if you want to be a true disciple, if you want to truly know the Lord, if you want to truly experience all that He has for you, He's going to take you and allow you to get in situations where you're desperate, where you have nothing left but Him. Again, you look through examples in the Bible. You look through Jairus and his daughter, or Jairus and his daughter, and he says, Lord, come, please, my daughter is at the brink of death. And before Jesus can come and heal her, they say, hey, look, your, your daughter's dead. You look at the woman with, with uh, the flow of blood for 12 years. She was untouchable. She was unapproachable. She was poor. She had given everything she had to try to fix her problem. She was unworthy. She was ashamed. She was uh, desperate. She was discarded by society. And yet she becomes so desperate that she reaches out and says, if I can only touch the hem of Jesus' robe, I'll be healed. You look at Mary and Martha with their, their brother Lazarus and, and they become so desperate and they, they, they encounter tragedy and they encounter things that they would never, ever, ever want to go through. And yet it was also that God could reveal himself to them. It was also that God could show them, yeah, you've got yourself in a bad situation like Jehoshaphat or yeah, just something bad happened to you like Mary and Martha or Jairus. Or this woman with a flow of blood. Yeah, this situation, yeah, this problem, whether it's your fault or someone else's or nobody's fault, you can't deal with it. But I can. And you can't fix it. And it'd be, it's beyond fixing for anybody else but me. But I can fix it. I can redeem it. I can show you my power if you'll be obedient, if you will be desperate, if you are willing to say, God, whatever it takes, I will do whatever it takes. I, will, I am desperate. I am un, willing to be obedient, unreasonably, illogically, recklessly obedient. I, I will do anything. And he says, okay, cool, good. Start digging. Start working. And at this point, was, the point of seeking the Lord was over. It's like, hey, we sought the Lord. He told us what to do. Now it's the time to start doing the work. You don't want to do it. I'm sure you don't want to do it. I'm sure it was a long, lonely night for these guys. I'm sure they were saying, is it even worth it? What are we doing here, guys? Uh, we're digging holes in the desert. It doesn't look like rain. You know, out here in the desert, it smells like rain. Before It doesn't smell like rain. It does, I don't see a cloud in the sky. I don't see anything. But he says, start digging the ditches, and then I'll fill them. He says, start doing the work, and then I will refresh you. Start being obedient, and then I will show myself powerful to you. So often we want it the other way around. Hey, fix me, and then I'll, I'll be obedient. Hey, make me happy. Hey, you know, fix my problem. Hey, refresh me, restore me, strengthen me, and then I'll, I'll be obedient. And God says, no, you be obedient, and then I will take care of you. You be obedient, and then I will show myself powerful. You be obedient, and then I will begin to do everything I have told you and more. Says it says, and it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. And here we, we see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord says, look, you're not going to see the rain. You're not going to understand it. You're going to know it. There's not going to be a reasonable explanation for it. You're not going to see it coming, but I will deliver you and I will give you everything you need. 
See, God could have given them water regardless of, of whether or not they dug the ditches, whether or not they built these trenches, whether or not they dug these holes. But this is what you guys need to understand is, is any ditch that they, they didn't dig didn't get filled. And any hole and any trench that they didn't create didn't get filled. And if they were not obedient to the Lord, when the Lord brought the water, all they would have done is stand and watch it pass them by. And they would have looked and they would have known, they would have realized that is our deliverance and it's gone because we weren't obedient. So I want to encourage you guys, guys, as you live your life, as you walk with the Lord, as you're a Christian, um, do not grow weary of being obedient to the Lord because every act of obedience matters. And every time we are not obedient, we fail to, to experience the glory and the victory of God. It says, And when the Moabites heard that the king had come up to fight against them, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. And then they rose up early in the morning, and the sun was shining on the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, This is the blood of the kings. Um, or this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose and attacked the Moabites. So that they fled before them. They entered their land, killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities. Each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down the good trees. But they left the stones of Kir Hereseth intact. However, the slingers surrounded it and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, whom would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. There was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him and returned to their own land. And again, you... We kind of saw the Lord's great deliverance, and then at the end, it's kind of, kind of almost an anticlimactic ending. The Lord delivers them. These guys are so desperate that they're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to get on their hands and knees maybe and just start scratching at the ground and saying, God, I'll, I'll dig a ditch however I can. I just need you to, to, to deliver me. And the Lord delivers them. And, and through this deliverance and through their obedience, they're also able to attack the, the, the king of Moab and, and his army and, 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 and have victory. And yet they didn't have complete victory. And yet they stopped short for whatever reason. They stopped short of, of, of complete victory. And, and again, obedience in our own lives is, is a lifestyle. You can't say, I was obedient once and God came through once and I'm done. I just want to encourage you guys as, as we, we, we end this study through Second Kings 3, um, that you remember that obedience is every day. And we need to be desperate every day, whether or not we, we feel desperate, whether or not our situation is as dire as this one was. Is we need to understand that every day we are insufficient and we are deficient for the, the things that are before us. And the only one that's going to take care of us is God. So I just want to remind you and remember you guys is God does not demand perfection from us. But he requires persistent obedience if we are if we desire to see and experience all that he has for us. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you so much for, for, um, for your deliverance. 
God, that, that as, even as we make mistakes, even as we fail, even as we, we get ourselves into hard times and bad circumstances and bad situations, you have always had a plan to show us your glory. You have always had a plan to show us your deliverance. You have always had a plan, Lord, but sometimes it requires us to do the work of obedience, the hard work, the work we don't want to do. Lord, the work that is, is backbreaking, the work that is, is painful, the work that, that gets us to the brink of utter exhaustion, God, but we know that, that if we are truly obeying you, that you will deliver us and you will be glorified. Lord, give us the strength to obey you. Reveal yourself to us. Show us what you want. And then after that, Lord, uh, help us to do the work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.